into a prophecy update and I'll just say up front that when I do a prophecy update, I always want to, uh, I've always done it this way of not just talk about events going on in the world. I let scripture lead me and I was kind of praying about uh, where we should be looking at and I'm going to have us back in a very familiar prophecy that the Lord gave to his disciples in Matthew 24 in verses 15 through 20, 15 through 31, when Jesus's disciples asked him about the last days, when will these things be? Tell us the uh, signs of your coming. And so we're going to go back to what Jesus said about it and then add in some current events that we have going on. And there's a lot going on in our world. So once again, as I was working my way yesterday and today through this passage, as the Lord was bringing things to mind, and even after I had it finished, everything on my iPad had it finished, I was taking notes and more things coming in. And I could just keep going, but I can't be here all night. And so we'll just limit to what the Lord has given me for the night, but just know that uh, a lot happening in our world today it should cause us to want to pay attention to world events, having that biblical worldview. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago in our church where I'd mentioned that George Barna came out with a survey and uh, said that Christians who actually hold to a biblical worldview is only about 6% of the church. So very low numbers. He said others who claim to hold to a biblical worldview, they have parts of the Bible, but they mesh together other cults, other religions to kind of form their worldview that they have in this world and say that it's a biblical worldview, but it's not truly a biblical worldview. So those who actually follow what the Word of God says, only 4 to 6% of the church. And so we need to be uh, aware of those things. So here in Matthew 24, a few days before Jesus' crucifixion, as he departed from the temple, his disciples were boasting about the tabernacle's massive stones and the beauty of the temple itself. And to their amazement, Matthew 24:2, Jesus said, Do you see? All these things, as surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now we know that some of the smaller foundation stones that remain there on Temple Mount in Israel today weigh between two to four tons. Nevertheless, everything above the foundation was thrown down, destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D., just as Jesus said. So later on that evening, as they sat at the east side of the temple on temple grounds there, actually the word of God tells us they were at the Mount of Olives. So in Jerusalem today, you have Mount Moriah where the temple is built. And to the east of Mount Moriah is the Mount of Olives. Between them is the Kindred Valley, a very deep rift between the two. So they were sitting at the Mount of Olives, and today you can sit at the Mount of Olives, look over to the temple uh, from their temple grounds. There's no temple there, of course, but you can look across, you can see this was the setting. 
Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to Jesus and asked, Mark 13, 4, tell us when will these things be and what shall be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So Jesus' response was twofold. Some of his response dealt with Israel's near future, especially the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, while other parts of his response dealt with current and still future events that are in our world today. So tonight we're going to look at the second coming, Matthew 24, 15 through 31, we're going to see verses 15 through 22, the abomination of desolation. 23 through 28, lying signs and wonders. 29 through 31, the coming of the Son of Man. So we open up with the abomination of desolations totally in this first point, verses 15 through 22. But verses 15 and 17, 15 through 17 to start us out. The word of God tells us, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Verse 18 And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. So Jesus gives us a hint regarding the meaning of the abomination of desolation by pointing us to the book of Daniel as spoken by Daniel the prophet. This would take us to Daniel chapters 9 and 12 specifically where Jesus is telling us now Whoever reads, let him understand the end-time prophecies that's found in Scripture and the totality of the Bible. When we talk about the last days, these last days prophecies are not given that should cause us to have fear or to scare us, but they are given that we would be prepared or to prepare us. But regarding Daniel... I'm going to read the end of a portion and back it up by a few verses first, but we're going to read the end of it. That abomination of desolation is found in Daniel 9:27. Then he shall confirm a covenant for many with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So the he there is referring to the prince who is to come. And Daniel 9.26 tells us this, but also John describes him as the Antichrist. It's John, the brother of James, who gives the title of that of the Antichrist in 1 John 2.18, Little Children. John says, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So that's interesting because John was writing this some 1900 years ago, and we might instantly think, he's saying that 
the Antichrist is coming. We know it's the last hour. And here it is 1,900 years later. Should we even be bothered about this? Obviously, the Antichrist didn't come. And maybe he's not coming. Well, there's something about the end-time prophecies in the Bible that I believe that the Lord wants us to live as if Jesus is coming at any hour, at any time. So much so, Jesus said, No man knows the day or the hour of my coming, but my Father only. And so we are to live in expectation. And what John is reflecting here is a believer in Jesus Christ that's living in the expectation of the coming of his Savior. So the Antichrist, we back up in Daniel 9, 24 through 26. He'll make a covenant with many for one week, speaking about the seven years of tribulation or the last seven of the 70 weeks given to us here in Daniel, where Daniel 9, 24 through 26 says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So Daniel, a Jewish man, the messenger telling Daniel, for your people, for the Jewish people, for your holy city, for Jerusalem. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to the anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troubled some times. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war of desolations are determined. So 62 weeks plus seven weeks that are determined gives us 69 weeks. But he said in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined. That's where we get the seventh week in Daniel 9:27. So the... Messiah being cut off after 62 weeks speaks of Jesus dying upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and brings us into the current church age that we are currently in, the age of grace, as some theologians have called. But there is yet a coming one week where the Antichrist will make a covenant of peace with the nation of Israel surrounding uh, their region surrounded by Muslim nations, there will be a covenant for one week. In the middle of that week, the Antichrist will cut off sacrifices and that will be the abomination of desolation or the abomination that makes desolate. But peace in the Middle East is something that ever since uh, May 14th of 1948 when Israel became a nation again, uh, here in the United States, it seems like we've been trying to be the peace brokers, a peace in the Middle East. But recently, the Abraham Accords that was initiated by the Trump administration 
was in a peace agreement originally between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, and yet other countries joined that agreement, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco. And just recently, and I want to have recent news on this, this came from September 26, 2022. September marked the second anniversary of the Abraham Accords under which Israel signed normalization agreements with the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, followed shortly by Morocco. Since the signing of the accords, the value of bilateral trade between United Arab Emirates and Israel have exceeded $3 billion in trade. And in the first half of 2022, now outstripped the $1.3 billion that was recorded in the whole of 2021, according to the foreign trade minister. The Accords have brought about a unique joint agreement aimed at solving the challenges facing the Middle East, such as water shortages, renewable energy, and the uh, a CEO of a startup nation, Central nonprofit organization there says that the Accords have unleashed great opportunity, potential for our region. We have shifted the dialogue from defense and security to innovation and the word that a lot of people in business like to use today, collaboration, innovation and collaboration. And another author stated about this. This is from uh, March 30th, 2022. The historic Abraham Accords brokered by the Trump administration saw Israel sign peace deals with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan. The central architect of the Abraham Accord warned that the United States was facing a stark choice. Despite what was a wonderful public event in the Negev summit, and indeed was truly historic, important, and significant. There are serious dangers, dangerous issues lurking just beneath the surface. It is imperative that the Biden administration embrace our friends and ally in the Gulf, not sign the Iran deal, and work closely and carefully with our friends and allies to bring stability, opportunity, and safety to all. This is a battle of good versus evil. And the United States has to choose. So I was thinking that that was written back in March. And this guy was part of the Trump administration. And he's saying the Biden administration has a choice to make. And he specifically says they need to not sign the Iran deal. Well, you heard last week that OPEC, if you hadn't heard it, you've seen it at the pumps. They decreased. Uh, the amount of oil being brought out of the ground by 2 million barrels a day, causing oil prices to spike, causing our fuel prices to soar here in the United States just at the news of this. But this is in response to the Biden administration trying to re-engage the Iran nuclear deal. Many of Iran's neighbors, Iran, Iran's neighbor, had a bricklayer, Italian bricklayer once, and he said, it's not Italy, it's Italy. So we, you know, are you Italian? Just got to get it in my head. Iran. Many of the Iranian neighbors 
who are part of OPEC do not want to see this deal to happen. So it's theorized that the reason that they dropped instead of gained, and something went on when Biden went over there. We just saw a news clip of this tonight. They were ready to increase 5 million production-wise, 5 million barrels more a day. But Biden showed up and they decreased by 2 million. So something happened there that they didn't like. And so instead of having the increase or having an even flow, we've got the decrease. And yes, they are trying to impact our elections with that. And they may do it very well. The Abraham Accords, though, is not the peace that Daniel is referring to. This current peace plan does not allow for the Jewish temple, although some of those within the peace plan who have signed with Israel, not the actual uh, governments, but people within the governments are saying, we have no problem with Israel building a temple. So doors are beginning to open. But this current peace plan does not allow for a Jewish temple. And sometime just before or during the last days, there'll be that seven-year covenant. The temple will be allowed to be rebuilt. And three and a half years into that covenant, the Antichrist, Daniel 9.27, will bring an end to sacrifice and offering, the abomination of desolation. So Jesus said, verses 19 and 20, But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So concerning the prophecy's near fulfillment, the Jews who celebrated Passover in 70 AD found themselves besieged by the Romans. And Josephus wrote that the Romans massacred every massacred everyone they found, burning houses with all who had taken shelter in them. So great was the slaughter that in many places flames were put out by streams of blood. Moreover, Josephus wrote, the total number of prisoners taken during that war was 79,000. Those who died during the siege, 1,100,000. So that was near fulfillment. And as horrific as this war was, this was not the fulfillment of which Jesus was referring to here. Although the Romans destroyed the temple, there was no seven-year peace agreement, no abomination of desolation by an image being set up in the temple and worshiped there. And over the past few weeks, we've seen a lot of attention because of five red heifers arriving in Israel from the U.S. on Thursday, September 15th, 2022. So the red heifers, we looked at this, or we will look at it in numbers, but we're going to get a preview of that. Uh, As we begin our study in the book of Numbers, we find out about the red heifers in Numbers 19. But the search for the pure red heifer has been in a process for a long time. No white hairs, no physical blemish, one that has never been under the yoke. The Jews have not had a qualified, bona fide red heifer in over 1,900 years. And now somebody from Texas sent over five. Well, Numbers 19.9, the man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the red heifer And store them outside the camp in the clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel. For the water of purification. 
it is for purifying from sin. So the purpose of the red heifer as he is burned in the sight of the priest outside of the camp, uh, as we will see, with cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet being cast into the fire. Once that is burned, they gather up the ashes. It becomes part of the water of purification. And it is how they uh, purify with the water. And so not just any water will do. It, doesn't, it takes more than a priest's blessing to make the water pure. It takes a red heifer without blemish and being burned up outside of the camp, mingled in with cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet. These combined with the water make the water of pure purification. So you think, what's the big deal? Should be easy, find a red heifer without any blemishes, without any scars, without any white or black hairs. Well, they've been looking, and uh, according to some of the information that I've looked up today, that what complicates the matter providing that two black or white hairs from the same follicle would disqualify a heifer, that one of whom even a cloth has been laid on could not be used. So can't carry a burden. So even if you like threw a towel over it, nope, that disqualified. It became virtually and altogether impossible to secure a proper animal. And so the statement that only nine has ever been found probably means that the right has been obsolete for a long time before the New Testament times. So they're looking for the 10th. Only nine have ever been found. They're looking for the 10th. They have five to pick from. But one of the prophecy guys last week I was listening to said that I don't think they take calves. I think it has to be full grown. So we're talking about a year to three years. A lot can happen to an animal in a year to three years. But there's a lot of news about the red heifer coming out especially of the United States. This same prophecy guy from Israel said that uh, it's always coming from the United States. People always get excited here in the United States. He's a Jewish man thinking, yeah, we don't get as excited as you guys about these things. So interesting. The great tribulation, Jesus continues, verses 21 through 22. For there will be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor... No, nor shall ever be. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So regarding the great tribulation, Jesus said, there would be nothing like it before, nor anything like it after. This is because God will intervene by sending Jesus a second time in Joel 3, 1, it says, For behold, in those days and at that time, I will bring back captives of Judah and Jerusalem. And Joel teaching of the day of the Lord, God's day of judgment, the day of the Lord, not just a single day, but a period of time that includes the regathering of Israel back to the land, the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, the second coming of Jesus, his millennial reign upon the earth, the Bema Seat judgment of Christ, and also the white, great white throne judgment of God. So at least 1,007 years all combined to produce the day of the Lord. 
And in those days and at that time refer to a great tribulation period where Jesus will come and judge the earth in righteousness. So since the late 19th century, God has been reassembling his people in the promised land. They were brought together, as I said, as a nation in May 14th, 1948. And because the great shepherd Jesus Christ is not king over them yet, we are still waiting for this day to take place. So another end-time prophecy refers to a coming one-world government. And I've read this off during prophecy updates before last two months ago. I went into a few details on news story regarding each of these points, but I just want to run us through eight points from the World Economic Forum um, and their target date of 2030 of what they believe the world should look at, look like by 2030. This is what the World Economic Forum is wanting. Number one, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. Number two, the U.S. won't be a world's leading superpower. Number three, you won't die waiting for an organ donor. They will make 3D printers. They'll be made by 3D printers. You'll eat much less meat. Meat will be an occasional treat, not a staple. For the good of the environment and our health. A billion people will be displaced by climate change. Polluters will have to pay to emit carbon dioxide. There will be a global price on carbon. This will help make fossil fuel history. Right now they're making a, they're trying to implement a global price on uh, methane gas that pigs and cows kind of put into the environment. And so they're trying to price out and make raising cattle and livestock so expensive that um, it's not worth it for the ranchers to even do this. And so they're because of climate change. Number seven, you'll be prepared to go to Mars. Scientists will have worked out how to keep you healthy in space. And number eight, Western values will have been tested to the breaking point. Checks and balances that underpin our democracies must not be forgotten. So we'll be tested to the breaking point. And we are being tested right now. So they say by 2030, this is their wish list. The good thing that's happening right now is that uh, people aren't liking the way things are going. So we see some people coming against some of these things. But I want to read from the World Economics Forum's webpage that's titled The Great Reset. So if you go to the World Economic Forum's page under The Great Reset, two paragraphs that they have. The COVID-19 crisis and the political and economic and social disruptions that it has caused is changing the traditional context for decision-making. The inconsistencies, inadequacies, the contradictions of multiple systems from health to financial energy, energy and education are more exposed than ever amidst the global context of concerns for lives, livelihoods, and the planets. Leaders find themselves at a historic crossroads, managing short-term pressure against medium and long-term uncertainties. 
as we, the second paragraph, as we enter a unique window of opportunity to reshape or to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of the global relations, the direction of the national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of global commons. Drawing from the vision and the vast expertise of leaders engaged across the forums committees, the Great Reset Initiative has set has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. Remember after uh, the fall and then the flood, and then we get to uh, Genesis chapter 11, there was the Tower of Babel, and they wanted to make that one world government to build a tower that would reach up to the sky. Nothing has really changed. Here we are as a world again trying to get that one world government, but they see the um, COVID-19 pandemic as an opportunity, reading from their own website, as an opportunity for them to get into power. So who's standing in the way? Well, point two of their list of eight admits that the United States being a superpower is a problem. So we need to notch the U.S. down a few notches. Another problem is the Christian influence in the U.S. and throughout the world. And so we have seen lately over the last several months of Christian nationalism and really attack against the church. And recently, over the last month, we have seen now the FBI coming against the church and against pastors and against those who would seek to go against really the democratic um, liberal majority that we have leading our nation right now, especially regarding right to life. And they are arresting and apprehending Christians now. You know, they'll let people who murder, commit murder on our streets in Chicago, that's fine. You'll be arrested and we'll let you go without a warrant. That's coming. The Safety Act here in Illinois coming in January. And only the real criminals will be held, so they say. But uh, our Department of Justice right now seems to view that real criminals often come with a capital C, Christian, in front of their name. But they also have, and here's something I'll just throw out there. Um, they're wanting a one world government. I think Russia and being involved in Ukraine, this has always been my view. Nobody has changed my opinion of it. The Iron Curtain fell back in 1992, that same month in December of 1992, when Russia fell, the United States was in Ukraine. That very same two weeks later, they were there meddling. And they're still there meddling. But I think it's more so than this. I think Russia is wanting to be a sovereign nation and they are fighting for their sovereignty where they do not want the United Nations around them on their borders. They already have some on their borders. And so they're fighting to protect it. I know some people will disagree. I have to tell you, I'm in the uh, 
an online seminary with Western Seminary is the name of the university, Western Seminary. But um, we have online classes four times a semester. And one of the guys that uh, is part of the group, last time we had our online class, he was making his way back. He's been a missionary in Ukraine, came out because of the war, got out of Florida because of the hurricane, went back to Ukraine. I don't know. He's just like leaving one storm and going to another. But uh, we had our meeting on Friday, and he said, by Sunday, I should be in my church pulpit again, preaching the word of God. So a 30, 40-year-old man heading back and wanting to teach the people there in Ukraine. And so what good thing has happened is the word of God has been opened up in that region, and they are hungry right now. So I, I just find that amazing, what courage it takes to follow the plan of God going into a war zone like that to shepherd the flock that God has given you. So finally, a conservative movement, not only in the U.S., it's freaking them out that there is a conservative movement that is growing in the U.S. and getting stronger, but also in other European countries as well. And that's troubling for the world economic forum, forum uh, like Giorgia Maloney, who became Italy's first female prime minister. Her motto for her uh, run for this position, we defend God, country, and family. I wish we had such a motto for our leaders here today, God, country, and family. So the great tribulation, when it finally arrives, Jesus tells us it will be so severe, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Thankfully, for the elect's sake, they will be shortened with the coming of Jesus Christ. One day, God will bring condemnation upon the world for the treatment of the land of Israel and its people, reminding us that God's word continues to hold true. That which he said to Abraham in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So lying signs and wonders. Jesus continues, verses 23 through 28, first looking at 23 through 25. Then if anyone says to you, look here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect, see, I have told you beforehand. So in 2013, the Christian Post named five people who claim to be Jesus Christ. Look here is a Christ. Look there, but do not believe it. So even now we have those who are saying, I'm him. In fact, one of these five men that claim to be the Christ, one claimed to be both Christ and Antichrist. He had a dual nature. We'll just leave him with the John said, many antichrists have come already. He's in that camp. But the followers of Jesus, we must heed the warning not to chase after false Christ, false prophets, which will deceive many. Mark 13, 6, many will come in my name and say, I am he and will deceive many. And among the signs and wonders can be, although signs and wonders can be part of our Christian experience, 
there's a great danger in chasing after them. It's because faith is not supposed to be based on our emotions. It's not supposed to be based on feelings, but the belief in Jesus Christ, His Word, and the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For Satan has the ability to deceive with many lying signs and wonders. Paul wrote about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one, so another name for the Antichrist, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So how do we as the elect of God keep from being deceived? Well, first, you have first step is come to faith in Jesus Christ. You're not the elect until you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, receiving those gifts of the Spirit and by being a student of God's Word, the importance of having that biblical worldview to be part of that 6% that actually hold true to the word of God. Jesus said, let whoever reads, let them understand. Be part of a church that teaches the Bible. I used to hear this from Dr. David Hawking. The Bible, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible helps to make the whole Christian for the salvation story is God's story from Genesis to Revelation. 26 through 28, Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For whoever, wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. So today, there's a lot of confusion regarding Jesus' redemptive work. Various religions refrain from teaching the whole truth regarding Jesus. Even if Jews believe in the historic Jesus, they do not receive him as their long-awaited Messiah. Muslims see Jesus as one of many prophets of Allah. The Jehovah's Witness believe that Michael, the archangel, was one of the names of Jesus Christ before he left heaven and after his return. While the Mormons believe that Jesus came became a God, but that he was not always God. There's a lot of opinions regarding Jesus. So the true Christ from the religious rulers to the common people, they were not sure Though some proclaim Jesus as the Christ, Jesus said concerning himself, John 20, 30, and 31. Actually, John, uh, writing about Jesus, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So through the word of God, we're able to see and understand Jesus. Secondly, the true prophet, John 6, 14, then those men, when they had seen the signs that Jesus did, said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. And this is a messianic reference 
that goes back to Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18, that talks about the Lord God raising up another prophet like Moses for the Jewish people. That prophet, speaking of Jesus Christ, that prophet in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 18, we learn four things about Jesus. Jesus was to be like Moses in that he communicated directly to his father, God. Jesus came from among his brethren, Israel. God put his words into the mouth of Jesus. And Jesus spoke all that God commanded him. And the Son of Man, the favorite title that Jesus had for himself, used, found 83 times in the gospel. Jesus said of the Son of Man, John 8, 28 and 29, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. He who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that pleases him. There's only one true Christ, one prophet, one Son of Man. His name is Jesus Christ. And as we close out in verses 29 through 31, first verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. So cataclysmic events will take place on this earth. There will be, according to the word of God, radical climate change take place on this earth. Zechariah 14, 6 and 7 says, It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day or night, but at the evening time it shall happen that there will be light. So God will do a work unlike any other day preceding that of the day of the Lord. The celestial lights, the sun, the moon, the stars will diminish at the return of Christ. But Joel said in Joel 2.32, it shall come to pass, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's always hope in the word of God, both in the Old and New Testament. All we have to do is call upon the name of Jesus that we might be saved. So we close out verses 30 and 31. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send the angels, his angels, with the sound of the trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So the end of the 20th century, the beginning of the 21st century, we've seen a lot of signs and the sun, moon, stars, perplexing uh, signs on our earth. And even now it seems that things are getting worse. It's causing men's heart to fail them. Luke 21, 26, this is an end time prophecy. It'll cause men's heart to fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming from the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Men's hearts failing them. That just clicked with me as I read this this morning, and I looked up world death rates, and I have two uh, quotes here, really just uh, tallies given to us from 2019 before the uh, pandemic and 2021. 
so 2019-2020-21 comparison, the no total number of deaths, this is the world. You can go to this site. It's called uh, Dead or Kicking. So they're just doing numbers. You're alive or you're dead. Uh, you can go to the site and you can see the U.S. You can pick out specific countries. But I just went for the world. And so a total of 2019, 58,394,000. So 58,394,387,000. And then total number of deaths, 2021, 69 plus million deaths. So the, we have increased. Our population has increased by 100 million during that time, comparing the two. But the death rate in 2019 was 7.5 and just a little bit higher than that, but 7.5 in 2021, 8.8. .8. So death rate has increased. Men's hearts failing them. So before the pandemic, I just heard this today. If you want to listen to it, um, Dr. Peter McCullough talking with Charlie Kirk. He said before the vaccine, there were four cases of myocarditis per million. The current estimate now are 25,000 cases per million up to this point. So, and that even uh, took Charlie back. He's like, what, what? Yeah, four per million before the pandemic, 25,000 per million now. So that was on the Charlie Kirk show, listening at the six, six minutes, 30 second mark, where that is found from October, from today, Dr. Peter McCullough. Also, the Blaze Media reporting that Fiber, Pfizer executives admit that COVID-19 vaccines was never tested to prevent transmission. This is scandalous, was the author of this article that was writing this. You know, we were told, right again, get, get vaxxed and you'll not transmit the disease to anyone. They never even tested for that. So pretty bold things coming out. I'll probably get taken off social media for saying those things, but so be it. So the crazy thing is that people will believe anything when they stay away from the truth of God's word. We need that biblical worldview. The word of God tells us in Revelation 1-7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Every eye will see him, those who pierce him, and the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. At the time of Jesus' coming, he will send his angels with the sound of a great trumpet, verse 31 again, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. First Thessalonians 4.16, Paul said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead will Christ, dead in Christ will rise first. And yet the Lord tells us these things not to scare us, but to prepare us that the Lord is coming. 
And we should be living in expectation of our Lord's soon return. I pray that we would continually learn to look up, lift up our heads, knowing that our redemption is drawing near because truly our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Romans 13, 11. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That's true. Are you ready for Christ's return? Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us tonight. Just a, a brief look at your teaching, as you told to your disciples there on the Mount of Olives many years ago, over 1,900 years ago there, Lord. But truths that we should heed even to this day and lining up some of these things with things that's going on in our world. Lord, we do have hearts failing because of fear today. And there's many different fears that's going on. The fear of war, we've never heard, Lord, in our lifetime uh, since I was a child, worrying about a nuclear threat. That hasn't happened since I was in grade school when they used to make us hide under our desk, which we know would do no good. But Lord, that threat clock has ticked up in these last days. But Lord, not to scare us, but to prepare us that we would live in expectation for your soon return and desire to share others that you are coming, that they might be saved. We pray, Lord, for all those who hear your word. May it change our hearts and our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Thank you so much to those who are watching through our video ministry, those who are listening on WLGS tonight. WLGS tonight. Slow it down. Um, get the word out. I was encouraged listening to one of the Calvary Chapel pastors, Jeff Sowell. I'll have him on Friday night on our radio with David Fiorazzo at 7 p.m. But he was talking about getting saved in 1993 out in California. And uh, I was, Lily and I were out in California in 1993. And he was listening to the radio, he and his wife, listening to Greg Laurie on the radio Monday nights with Greg Laurie at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I was at the grounds on Calvary Chapel at that time. I'd watch people come and get saved each Monday night. I was working, but I saw the crowds coming. And in my mind, I never thought about the radio audience, how important these medias are for us today. This guy who got saved in 1993, uh, now 25 years a pastor in Madison, Wisconsin. So God can do wonders. So those who are listening on the radio now, let the Lord God work in your heart, in your lives. He can change. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.